Welcome again to the Burning Pre-Sales Podcast. Today's question is going to be answered by Lori Payne. Lori has been in software since, I don't want to date you, but the late 90s, she told me that. Um, she's basically seen the entire spectrum of the software cycle, has landed in pre-sales first as a practitioner. She's now uh, a vice president of Global Solutions Consulting at Blackline. Um, very passionate about women in tech, and we'll probably talk about that a little bit. But uh, thank you so much, Lori, for, uh, for joining the podcast. Thank you for having me, Aaron. Happy to be here. Excited for the discussion today. We uh, were chatting a little bit before this call on, on what we wanted to, to zero in on. And there's, you know, we agree, there's a lot of diff different directions that we can take this. But uh, I want to start with one broad question, which we've not tackled on this podcast yet. And it seems to be relevant to so many different aspects of a professional life. And that is leading from where you are. What does that look like for people in pre-sales? And if you'd like to, to tackle this from the perspective of, of, of women in tech and women in pre-sales, um, I'd love to get your perspective on that because this seems to be one of the, one of the revenue functions least staffed by women for, for whatever reason. And I, I don't know what's driving that, but that might be an interesting thing to, to get into. But in general, leading from where you are, what do you mean by that? And what does that look like? Yeah, I think this it comes up a lot and it comes up in different forms. And what strikes me is this concept of people believing that they have to be in a management level role or above to act as a leader. And certainly people that are promoted into those roles are leaders in the organization. But many of the things that people think a leader does, such as project management or coaching and mentoring, they forget to realize that they're perfectly capable of doing those things too. They, they have those skill sets. And in a recent internal interview I had, we had this really great individual contributor who was looking to move into the management ranks. And she was kind of laying out this plan. So it just happens to be a female too. So this is a great, a great one to bring up. Yeah. Laying out her plans for what she felt she could bring to the role. And they were wonderful. They were all about projects she wanted to spearhead, bringing in additional individual contributors into the projects to get them more exposure. And when she was done, I simply said, why do you think you need to be in this management role to execute against those things? And she paused and she said, you know what, Lori, I don't, I don't need to be in that role. I can do that from where I am. So when I say leading from where you are, it's a perfect example of what I mean. It's you can be a leader in any organization as an individual contributor. Yeah. No problem. You don't have to have a manager, director, VP title in order to have an impact and lead inside of organizations. First of all, it's a, it's a great story because it, it emphasizes the value of a good leader in instilling that in the people that they're leading. I, I, you know, maybe she wouldn't have thought of that if you hadn't asked that question, which is really fascinating. Um, it's funny because I was talking with a colleague um, just this morning. We were both talking about imposter syndrome. Ugh. And I was talking about how you know, I, I lead marketing here at Consensus. We're a fast-growing company. There's not a day that goes by that I don't feel like I'm stepping in someone else's bigger shoes. <laughs> I felt like an imposter for pretty much my whole career. It seems to have amplified since I, <laughs> I became a vice president of marketing. And I wonder if, uh, if, if this is what individual contributors fear, like, you know, I'm not the leader, so I, sh I shouldn't step on people's toes or I, I don't have the right. To like, I wonder, is there a literally a mental blocker that, that may be preventing some, some people from taking kind of the reins, uh, so to speak, and just just taking the initiative to lead where they are, as, as you mentioned. 
Oh, absolutely. It's absolutely a factor. And I think we all struggle from imposter syndrome. I hesitate to say I struggle from it every single day and embarrass myself <laughs> on this podcast, but I shouldn't have said it, that. <laughs> it, it creeps every up, week. Yeah. It, it shows up at the most inopportune times Yeah. when you've got a big presentation or an interview in this case that we were just talking about, and you think you just don't have what it takes to make it happen. And why would they consider me? I'm just an individual contributor. Or why is my executive management team going to listen to me? I'm I'm just I just run the pre-sales organization here. And it takes a moment to self-reflect and say, hang on a second. They hired me for a reason. I bring a unique skill set to this role, whatever role you're in. And you have to remind yourself of that when those moments creep up because it can be a scary thing. And then you're full of all of this self-doubt and it's an ugly place to be and you get all stuck up in your head Yeah. and you got to get out of that. And that's where it helps to have mentors too. You can just pick up the phone or even just drop a note and say, I'm struggling and talk through it. And that person usually will remind you of what you've accomplished to date, why you're here in whatever role that is. And what you have to bring to the table. And that usually nips it in the bud, but it really does creep up at the most inopportune times. And it's ugly. Yeah. It's so fascinating. Uh, You know, at the same time, I don't think, I don't think people within an organization realize how much leaders value those that take initiative. I I have this guy in my team who um, early on when I joined, you know, one of our first meetings, he had actually sent me a pre-recorded video outlining different areas of improvement that he felt we should make as a team. But it wasn't just that. He was like, here's what I think I can do to influence this. And here are the actions I'm going to take to do it. He got promoted a month later. And he has executed so well since since he took the initiative. And it's like, man, if everyone behaved like that, if everyone on my team, and and we have an incredible team, a lot of them do this. But I think in general, leaders really appreciate when when people take the initiative and recognize that there's a problem take steps towards solving that problem and don't assume or project uh, some insecurity or perception that this is a management thing. They've got to handle it. I'm going to stick in my lane and do my thing. It's yes. I want you to do your job for which we hired you. But if there are things that can have a rippling effect on the effectiveness of the broader organization, I, you know, it's, it's kind of an arrogance to think as a leader that I can manage that, or I'm going to see all those opportunities and I'm going to pin everything down and make sure that I'm the only one driving those things. Like, I think good leaders tend to recognize that they can't see everything and they want their teams to be proactive in, in raising that kind of stuff. And then, shoot, they've turned themselves into leaders. They've turned themselves into transformational agents. Exactly, exactly right. 100% agree. And it's a, it's a perfect example that you just shared of him leading from where he was. He noticed some things. He wanted to make some changes. And I think you're spot on with your point. As leaders, we cannot see everything. We do not know what's going on in every nook and cranny of the business. So I personally do rely on my entire global team to tell me what's going on, because that could vary by region to region, market segment to market segment. They see different things. And if it's not raised to my attention, I cannot do anything about it. Yeah. And then what happens is those individual contributors in this case, whomever it is, they end up just sitting with that bad scenario. Mm-hmm. And in the back of their minds, like, oh, this could be so different if we just did X, Y, and Z. And why won't Lori do anything about it in this case? And, and I, how would I know? You ha- yeah. I don't know what's happening. I, you can't see everything. 
as much as we really do try. We just, we can't. There's a lot of initiatives going on and we're pulled in a hundred different directions. We were talking about our calendars earlier and how they're just pure back-to-back meetings at times. So we don't have all that time that we want to connect with those individuals, especially with a large organization like I have. And that's where we would hear that information. So when I interview people to come into my organization, they say, what's it going to be to be, what's going to take for me to be successful in your organization? What's that, what's that look like? And the first thing I always tell them, I said, it's not about you understanding the product in this case. I, you will get that no matter what. I'm looking for people that are going to roll up their sleeves and get things done. I need people to tell me like it is so that we can transform this organization and bring it to its next level and continuously improve. And that usually resonates with people. And it also helps me set the tone with people coming in right out of the gate that, hey, I'm going to lean on you. I need you to tell me what's going on and what are your ideas for making it better? Yeah, I totally agree with that. So let's let's dial into this one angle, uh, you know, leading from where you are as women in tech, we were talking about how there are so few women in pre-sales right. specifically. Uh, one, why is that? And what what advice would you give to to women who are in sales engineering or solution consultant roles and how they can lead from where they're, they're at, specifically, you know, as they're kind of shaping the future of, of, of pre-sales as women in this industry? I think, I mean, this stems back a long, long time, right? Into history. Being attached to a sales organization is a little unsettling, right? There's Mm -hmm. a component of our compensation that is tied to someone else actually getting signatures and getting getting that in, right? From the variable perspective. Um, And I also think that as much as the pre-sales role has evolved, still a lot of people don't even know it exists. When they think of software, they think of sales or engineering and product, which is fine. But there's this really great sweet spot that we've found that is pre-sales, where you are attached to a great sales organization. You get all the benefits of being in sales, yet you don't have to carry the bag. <laughs> um, but to yeah. your point about why, uh, I think we, it, we need to give people the chance. We need to educate people on what this role actually is and how amazing it is. And there's a lot of flexibility with it too. And that's really important for women, particularly women who have maybe small children at home or thinking about starting a family or thinking about taking a three-week honeymoon and they just need to stay where they are. And I would encourage them to jump and take that leap. And most people don't realize how their skills in the workforce actually do apply to the pre-sales role. And so it's just about having those dialogues And then, of course, it it ties into your talent acquisition team, too. Mm -hmm. As a hiring manager, and I would encourage anyone who's listening who is a hiring manager, make sure you've got a vast candidate pool that is very diverse because there's a lot of talent out there. And it's been proven that women bring a different viewpoint to the table Mm -hmm. in any, any dialogue. And so you really want that diversity on a team, whether it's women or, or people of color, whatever that is, you want that vast insight into the different projects that are going on, into the different approach that people will take to solving problems. That's where the beauty of having a diverse team comes in. And women are one aspect of that. So I think it's, it's driving that, again, from where you are and making sure your talent acquisition team, your recruiters know I am interested in, in if I've got four recs, hiring two women into these, into these recs and go find me some great qualified candidates because they are out there. 
And yeah. we have to drive that. We have to, you know, kind of force that hand and be prepared to maybe wait a little bit longer to find a highly qualified female candidate. And then when you do get that female candidate, you've got to give them a fair shot. Mm-hmm. There are sometimes people fall victim to just hiring people that look like them or act like them or speak like them. Yeah. It doesn't mean they're any less qualified if they don't check those boxes. But um, if we have, I have a lot of male hiring managers and women don't look like them. They don't act like them. They don't speak like them. So right. they've got to take those blinders off, right? That unconscious bias. I have one hiring manager who actually, um, he had a really great suggestion for what he does in his hiring process. The very first meeting, that first introduction meeting to a candidate, since we're all virtually says cameras off. I, I want to hear what you have to say. Hmm. I don't want to be biased by what you look like what you're wearing, what your background information, what your background image is. I just want to hear from you. And I thought that was one really great small step that a hiring manager could take. So he tries to take those potential biases out of the conversation. But we all play a part in that. We all play a part in bringing women along. Um, Even even as um, a manager or like me, for example, who runs the organization, I like to make sure there's men in my leadership team, as well as women. And we've taken a lot of great strides to, to correct that, just to bring them along. Right. Also helps for individual contributors to see someone in that management rank at some degree that looks like them. Yeah. That they can aspire to be like. Yeah. It makes I love that perspective. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, Before we close, I try to give my guests an opportunity to, uh, to share some parting thoughts. If I didn't ask the right question, um, anything else that you'd like to share before we close out? Uh, I will just reiterate that this is a fantastic role. Anything in that pre-sales cycle is an amazing sweet spot. You get the best of both worlds, right? You can benefit from the sales dinners. When we do get back to the dinners, you get to get out and socialize with prospects and customers and you get to improve their lives through your tool set, your software. And that is what drew me to pre-sales initially. So find that and take the leap, apply your skills, and then we'll get more amazing pre-sales resources in the world. Love it. Thank you so much, Lori. Thank you, Aaron. Happy to be here. Thank you. 